podcasts on WLRN are funded in part by Make-A-Wish Southern Florida, whose own podcast, World of Wishes, features inspiring, uplifting, and memorable stories from wish kids, their families, medical professionals, and more. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. Ojalan Almeida was 25 when he first walked into a Western Union. He was working for Colgate Palmolive in Toronto, and he wanted to send money to his nephew in Brazil for his birthday. To tell the truth, it was not a great experience because <laughs> I went to a place and uh, I had the, I have a b- very big name, a Latin name, and they were not that used to that. Today, Almeida manages that business from South Florida. His corporate title is president of Global Money Transfer at Western Union. His job covers 80% of the company's business and includes the core operations that Western Union is best known for, a global financial network that sends money from one person to another. And it all started with the telegraph in the 19th century. Sure, Western Union was boots and saddles, the golden spike in the railroad tie, singing wires, and the growing pains of a great nation. This is from a Western Union promotional film from 1956. It's a typical day at Western Union. Behind the counter, the mechanical nerves of the system change words to holes on tape and the holes on tape to electrical impulses speeding over the wires. Today, the company is in the midst of the wireless revolution, and instead of words, it's money the company transmits between more than 200 countries. That global footprint and concentration on the consumer has allowed Western Union to build its business thanks to global immigration. As people move around the world, they send money back to their home countries. That's what Ojalan Almeida was trying to do years ago as a Brazilian working in Toronto wanting to send his nephew a birthday present. And it's the business he's running now globally for Western Union. We started our conversation with him talking about immigration and Western Union's unique perspective thanks to its international money transfer business. Has the rhetoric and the political focus here in the United States, but elsewhere, we've seen it in Western Europe uh, around immigration. We've seen it with Brexit and immigration, certainly in the UK. Has that affected business at Western Union? We believe in immigration. Uh, We we call them uh, our heroes, those uh, 270 million people around the globe. Uh, that are in different countries, and and uh, those are uh, it's really a, a different class of people that that really nurture growth all around. So we're very pro pro immigration, and we have been connected with immigration forever. And uh, what I can tell you is that this is very cyclical. So when things are tight, everybody gets against it, and when things are not that tight, everybody understands that everybody needs tight immigration. meaning economically uh, economic tight, tight, politically tight, tight? Politically okay. tight, economically tight. You know, every every time it's very popular to talk about against immigration when things are not going that well. Uh, so, and and we see that around the globe. How do you account that for the United States with a historically low unemployment rate, uh, record corporate earnings, uh, GDP, the gross domestic product continuing to grow, low inflation, wages are growing? How do you how do you square those two things together? Yeah, it's it's very very hard to connect because uh, uh, then then you enter in a, in another in another front, which is a political front. What is nice to say, what is not nice to say. So it's very hard to connect that. But what I can tell you is that it's a question of math. You get the United States, you get Japan, you get Europe, you get the developed world. Without immigration, it's going to go old and it's not going to be able to pay the bills. 
And, and it's a question of math. can be 10 years, can be 20 years. So there is a need of immigration in every those places. Uh, and it is just like natural. It has been happening forever and it will continue to happen for, for a long period of time. One thing that I can tell you is I always talk about uh, organized immigration. So you have example of countries that do a tremendous job in immigration. Such they as? choose, uh, such as Canada, such as Australia, they choose the right the right person and the right uh, uh, the, the, the right migrant right if you will uh, immigrant if you will so for example you get a visa in Canada to work with gas in Alberta and you need to work with gas in Alberta because that's what the country needs so there there are possibilities of organizing immigration that are are, are very positive and, and very spread out today the two examples you give one has uh, no international land border Australia the second has the only international land borders with the United States so they're 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 somewhat uh, land constrained when it comes to overland immigration uh, they are but they are but but you know uh, we 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 think we we um illegal immigration or undocumented immigration it's it's always in the spot but but have that in mind the bulk of immigration is legal and uh, what is western union's business trends what are they showing in terms of global migration um in previous refugee crisis your data has picked up on these migrants moving for instance from north africa into uh, into Greece and and from the Middle East into Southern Europe. What are you seeing in terms of those migration patterns those, that are those, picking up in the transactions? Yes, it, it's a great question, and there was a lot of change in the last uh, I would say uh, ten years. Uh, if you go uh, 15, 20 years ago, uh, the immigration patterns and and the money movement patterns were very clear. You know, you would have come from Latin America to Europe and to U.S. Canada, you know, uh, from uh, every place to Japan, uh, you know, east to Russia, so Australia. So there's like centers of, of, of people, uh, of countries that would receive Im- immigration. That's not happening anymore. Now Im- immigration is becoming regional. So uh, the, 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 the guy in Paraguay, instead of getting uh, into the airplane and flying to Azor, they get in the bus and they get to Brazil and they get to Chile and they get to another country that is doing very well. So you're starting to have these hubs that are regional now, and there is still immigration, a lot of immigration through the developer to, to more to the, to the north. But having said that, the flows are, 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 are much more, I would say, richer now uh, in the sense that there are much more options for people living in countries. Are you and Western Union seeing... Uh, any impact from the caravan of migrants from Central America over the past few years that we've seen move north? We can track that, and we can see the, those movements of people before anyone else. Because, again, we can track the money movement, and when you see that, you know where it is going, right? So we saw that going up. So, for example, uh, the, the, the volumes to U.S. start to go up, and now uh, there are not lots of Brazilians sent to U.S. anymore, uh, another U.S. to Brazilians, but increased a lot Central America, increased a lot Mexico and so forth. So it's coming north more and more. So when the president talks about these caravans of migrants, uh, do you see that in the money transfer data as as those folks potentially move up through we, the Central American yeah, continent? Yeah, we, we see them uh, sometimes receiving money along the way or we see, we see them. Um, we, we, uh, we help a lot also. Um, it's important to, to say that we work a lot with regulators 
in any kind of information, intel information that we can help, you know. Um, the, the so do you share that money transfer data if you're seeing an increase in, in uh, uh, you know, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, up through southern Mexico, and then to the Mexican-U.S. border? If there is anything suspect hmm. that we think it's not good for people, it's not good for our consumers, it's not good for the country, it's not good for regulators, Yes, for all means, we, we share right away. And have you seen any of that over the past few years as the president has talked about these caravans? Uh, there, there is this, this flow, and, and within this flow, uh, we, we, we don't see anything tremendously negative. You have like points, right? I mean, you have points, and uh, as you have uh, from Nicaragua and, and Nicaragua, and you have from Kenya or you have from any other place. Uh, but but we, it's not like we, we, we see we see not good money flowing flowing more because of the of this uh, of this movement and so forth right? so no significant increase in volume and transactions uh, no, i think more business as usual as a presidential candidate uh, donald trump talked about the possibility of taxing remittances to pay for border security in the border wall he has not moved in that direction what's at risk for western union what's it uh, what's the the potential impact that it could have on uh, those transfer flows, especially between the United States and Latin America. Look, we we have been seeing that happening around the globe, right? I mean, governments the taxing of remittances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. governments uh, add taxes, then they take out taxes, and then they move into taxes again. So it's it's all it's all happening the two hundred country territories. I can tell you a list of countries that are thinking about taxes, and their list of countries that are getting out of the taxes that they started with. You put the United States in the list of countries thinking about it. I, I think I think it is in the list. I think it is in the list of of of, of United States today and other countries also. The problem with tax is in every place that it happened, it creates a parallel market that does not report to regulators. Because then if, if you're sending money, for example, and you are counting the cents and there is a tax on it, you need to pay more. Because by the end of the day, the consumer will pay more for the tax. And then there is another channel that is not regulated, the black market, that is not going to charge that tax. So what has happened in most of the places that they uh, introduce the taxes is that black market grows. And then we as an industry lose the visibility of the transactions. We don't know anymore who's sending, who's not sending. We cannot track bad money and say, you know, and we cannot report. And the regulators lose that transparency. So uh, it, it, it has been very uh, negative in almost every place that have been introduced. And that's why there are countries that get in and then get out after a while. Ojalan Almeida is the president of Global Money Transfer at Western Union. Still to come, the business of sending money to two troubled economies with personal ties to South Florida, Cuba and Venezuela. We cannot get food, but we can get money uh, to the Venezuelans there. Uh, nobody can stop, uh, you know, the money flow. They can stop the truck in the frontier, but not the money flow. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for supporting public radio. South Florida exports millions of dollars every year. The money is sent to family and friends overseas. Haiti, Jamaica, and Colombia get the bulk of their official remittances from the United States. It's money that goes toward household expenses, education, or a small business. While remittances can be an important economic force, they also have a political dimension. 
In Venezuela, the country had been the source of money for Venezuelans living somewhere else. But as the economy has cratered there, that money flow has been reversed, and Venezuelans living abroad are now sending more money into their country than that's coming out. Remittances have been targeted by the regime of President Nicolas Maduro, which requires any inbound currency to be transferred at an official exchange house, subjecting that money to enormous inflation. Remittances have also been used by the United States to exert influence in Cuba. President George W. Bush tightened travel and money transfer rules. President Obama loosened the restrictions, and President Trump has toughened the rules again. While Cuba represents a small piece of the money transfer business for Western Union, the guy in charge of that global business, Ojalan Almeida, has been a frequent visitor to the island. I went to Cuba like um, three times in the last uh, three years, uh, considering that, that I managed 200 countries. I mean, I went a lot to Cuba. And, and, and the reason uh, that I went is, is uh, it is amazing to see the development of Cuba through remittances. And it's really changing Cuba. So, so if there is any agenda on changing Cuba, remittance is the answer, because people receive that money over there, and that foster entrepreneurship, and, and they 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 want freedom, they want to invest, they want to create wealth, and that is really changing the the country over there. And we firmly believe that that this is a force of freedom, and this is a force of 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 getting uh, Cubans. Uh, you know, uh, really inside of the global market. Remittances have been a particular focus of uh, U.S. presidential administrations when it comes to the relationship between the United States and Cuba. President Obama, of course, uh, raised the uh, amount that Americans and Cuban-Americans could send into Cuba in 2009. That increased substantially. And then President Trump, in uh, one of his first actions regarding uh, Cuba came here to Miami in 2017 and changed the types of people that could receive those remittances in Cuba, more broadly banning, prohibiting certain types of professions. Uh, folks, for instance, that worked for certain Cuban government ministries could no longer receive uh, remittances, uh, prohibited officials of local governments, for instance. How has that kind of volatility of American policy toward remittances, how's that impacted that fund flow? I, I think it's not, uh, it did not restrict at all uh, the flow. Sometimes people think that remittances are sending dollars to that country. That is not true because the money goes straight to the person over there. So it goes from one person to a family. The Trump administration prohibited Americans from sending money to Cubans who occupied certain jobs, including these ministry jobs or local government jobs. But you're saying that hasn't really affected That the has not flows. really affected because if you think about this universe of persons that were restricted, they are not that, that big. Has it changed? Has that business changed at all under Miguel Diaz-Canal, who is now the leader of the Cuban government? No, not really. Uh, it, it is the same thing. Uh, we cannot send money outside of Cuba uh, yet. Meaning you can't go outbound from Cuba somewhere else. Correct. Uh, by law, we cannot do that yet. By but Cuban do, law. By Cuban law. So you can't send money from Cuba to Venezuela, for instance. We can't. Today we can't. But we have been working with the government over there because we are telling them quite well. I mean, um, you should not be afraid of that because, uh, you know, every time that we open the flows, what just happened is the flows continues. Uh, you just can see them now. Are you seeing a market demand inside Cuba to go outbound to send currency Very outside much. of Cuba? Is that right? Very much. And to where? Uh, to to Venezuela, to to all the other countries around, to Spain, to because when the Cuban um, people come here, when they arrive here, what happens is in the first moment they need money. 
So every time that there is an immigration, the first moment they receive money and then they send money. With the cessation of the wet foot, dry foot policy here in the United States, uh, we've seen a decrease, obviously, in immigration out of Cuba into the United States. That is true. I mean, that, that, that did happen. Uh, but it's still not enough to to, um, to to affect the market in any way because that's very recent. But it will affect in the future. There's no question about that. What work are you doing inside Cuba to uh, try to get the uh, ability to send outbound money from Cuba to other global locations? Yeah, we are, we are very regulator-friendly, right? So we are always talking with the regulators, and we are always talking to the governments and try to, to, to really help. Uh, to understand what remittances do and what uh, remittances don't do. So one thing that we are saying, every government that for any way is uh, restricting money outside is, when you talk about $100 or $200, that money is getting out. You just need to formalize it if you open the, the and then you can see how much gets out. So I think that that is the kind of education that we always try to, to, to make and, and do with the governments, right? What is Western Union experiencing in terms of U.S. remittances to Venezuela? Uh, the remittances with Venezuela continues, uh, but it's very uh, it's very hard now. Uh, we have lots of controls in Venezuela just because of everything that is happening over there. Uh, we don't want to incentivate uh, the the local government in any way. But again, the money goes directly to the person, so it's uh, it's help. Uh, you know, we cannot get food, but we can get money. Uh, to the Venezuelans there. And we are very proud of that because uh, nobody can stop, uh, you know, the money flow. They can stop the truck in the frontier, but not the money flow. Have you noticed changes in that transaction volume uh, uh, over the even the past month or so? Uh, no, I think it's constant and it's, it's limited in some way. Limited by uh, is limited by the conversion rates because we need to convert the currency conversion the rates and the inflation and, in and the inflation in Venezuela. So, so when you convert by and we cannot convert for anything that is not the official rate, and the official rate is very far from the real rate. So, it's uh, people prefer to get the money in the black market. Yeah, the effect on the ground for the Venezuelan receiving a Western Union transaction is between getting the cash at the counter and walking out the door. It becomes not worth less, but it is worth less in walking those 10 or 12 feet that could be separating the the, the street from the counter, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's the point. And so th- the impact on that business, though, for Western Union into Venezuela and for Venezuelan, uh, uh, the diaspora here trying to get money into Venezuela to friends and family. What 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 is that? Do you think? Yeah, for for our business, uh, it's uh, to to be very 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 transparent. It's not that important because we are in two hundred countries and and outside of the United States, we have no country that represents more than seven percent of our volume. So, it's not important for us, but it is important from what we do for our purpose, right? I mean, and we are in the mission of helping Venezuelans and people around the globe. In the Venezuelan crisis, have you seen an uptick in business along the border in Colombia, in Brazil, driven in part because of the astronomical inflation rate that that we described that makes that real currency conversion rate that Western Union has to follow uh, that, very that, difficult? Yeah, there is a lot of commerce going on in the, uh, the borders now, right? I mean, every kind kind of commerce. could be exchange. So if you see the proliferation of exchange houses, at the border, it's, it's tremendous. When you can go there and change the money, and there are some exchange houses that are, uh, you know, um, I would say uh, formal and informal <laughs> over there. So you have all, all of those uh, things. One thing that we have uh, learned, 
and there's 168 of history, is when you create some artificiality, it gets back on you. And, and that's what you have in, 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 in Venezuela today. What are the lessons that Western Union could share, uh, given the political, uh, economic, and humanitarian crisis that's happening in Venezuela? Western Union has seen this in its business. Uh, it sees it in the Mideast, in Syria. It has seen it, as you mentioned, over the course of 160 years of uh, transferring information, telegrams, and, of course, uh, currency and money. The, the, the one phenomenon that I have seen uh, is that one bad government can destroy a business, a country, in a few years, and then you need several good governments uh, to get back. So it takes much more time to rebuild than to destroy. And, uh, and, and I have seen that in many, many countries around the globe. And the other thing that I have seen, and I'm very vocal about that, Every time that I can talk to uh, political uh, uh, people, I, I know a lot of uh, polit- politicians around the globe, and uh, I, I can have chats with those. And every time I talk about the same thing, it's very, it's very easy. It's very easy. It's about doing the homework. So you have countries that do their homework, and they're doing great, and countries that don't do their homework, and they're not doing great. So, well, What's the homework assignment uh, most often missed? I, I think it is about uh, you know, uh, uh, monetary discipline tax reforms, political reforms, pension funds, deficit. You know, what everybody knows. Everybody knows. Financial fundamentals when it comes to government financing. Financial and social, we would say, fundamentals, right? I mean, not only financial, but social fundamentals. So health, you know, education. So if you get the social fundamentals, and you, you you can put in one hand, right, the social fundamentals, and the financial fundamentals in one hand, and you take countries that have done that, they're doing very well. And it's not cyclical anymore. They continue to grow, they continue to move ahead. And you get countries that don't do that, they navigate the world. So the world is doing okay, they are okay, the world is not doing okay, they're not okay anymore. That's Ojalan Almeida, the president of Global Money Transfer at Western Union. Now still to come as our conversation continues, the business of sending money around the world with the growth coming from this hemisphere. Yeah, Latin America continues to grow by double digit with us, right? It continues to grow very strong. So we have a backbone in, in, in Latin America that were created in the last uh, 15 years that is, is really a competitive advantage. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Today, we're featuring our conversation with Ojalan Almeida. He runs the biggest part of Western Union's business and the business you probably think of when you think of Western Union, the business of wiring money across the globe. Now, the remittance business is an enormous market. Well over half a trillion dollars was sent between people across borders in official channels last year alone. Fifteen cents of every dollar sent in remittances comes from America, according to data from the World Bank. It was $67 billion in 2017, and about 20% of that goes to Latin America and the Caribbean. This hemisphere, while representing a small part of Western Union's global revenue, is a bright spot in terms of growth as it works to evolve into a more digital financial firm. So back to our conversation now with Western Union's president of global money transfer, Ojalan Almeida. 
The business is doing very well, right? I mean, we are the market leaders in, in retail. We are the market leaders in digital also. And our digital business continues to grow above 20% every year. Uh, so so uh, the, the business is very solid and continues to be solid. I want to ask you more about the, the digital uh, evolution and the disruption that's happening in the money transfer business and elsewhere in finance, certainly, and how it affects Western Union. Uh, you mentioned the, the digital business increasing by 20%. The the core consumer to consumer business is essentially flat uh, in terms of revenue. Uh, why is that? Yeah, basically the the retail, which is the big part of it, because the digital is still a small part of it, right? It's growing very fast, but it's still a very small part. The retail is kind of flat now. But if you take about the whole industry, you have growth. You have like 3%, 4% growth. But that growth is composed by almost 0% growth in retail and above, and 20% in digital, right? So, so that is the balance of it. So you have a, a small part of the total market growing very fast and a big part that stable. But stable is good when you generate a lot of cash and you can deploy that cash, right? It's uh, $4 billion in annual revenue that Western Union generates uh, uh, with this consumer-to-consumer business. But that that slow growth, that low single-digit growth, 1% to 2% uh, transaction volume growth overall, is that a place of, of real concern? Uh, and, and is that kind of the forecast longer term? Yeah, I think the, 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 the bigger is our digital business, uh, the, the, the bigger is going to be our acceleration. And that is happening every year because you get 20% of growth every year. So it's already a $650 million business. If you make the 20% projection, you'll see it's going to be a $1 billion really fast. And so the, the bigger it goes, the higher it's going to accelerate. So if you look forward, uh, I cannot give you any any kind of perspective for future market and so forth, but I can tell you that the mix is working in our favor. Does it mean that Western Union could be looking at closing physical locations, like banks have have looked at closing those uh, teller windows, for instance? That's a great question. That's a great question, uh, and that's what separates us uh, from the uh, only digital players. Uh, when you talk to the digital players, the one that don't have cash, uh, they say that it's all about cashless. But that's not what the past has shown and not the future has shown because cash payments, if you think about cash payments overall, B2C, C2B, C2C, it continues to grow 1% or 2% around the globe. So the digital part is growing much faster, but cash is not going away. So we believe in a future that it's not about cash or account, retail or digital. It's about putting all of that together. You have the option of sending to account, to mobile wallet and everything else, but you do have also the option of sending cash. And there is a big segment in the world that will stay with cash for decades and decades. That cash business necessitates the window. It necessitates the, the human agent, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's the point. I mean, we imagine that. I mean, uh, it, it's much easier for us to, for example, the four billion accounts that we're connected to, which is a big, big number, right? That started like five years ago. But if you want to to get a network of five hundred fifty thousand locations around the globe, you need more than five years. <laughs> so I th- I always say the same thing. I mean, if you think about people that is, is is saying that you don't need cash, are the ones that don't have cash. You don't see any. Don't see anyone that have cash capability saying that cash is not needed. So you see that terrestrial business, that geographic location, that Western Union, that yellow and black sign on street corners, uh, uh, continuing on into the future. Very much, 
very much, and I think it's going to be a different location, though. So, for example, what do you mean? Yeah, for example, if you look at the location today, we are digitizing that location tremendously. So, for example, the FLA, that uh, the cashier, right? Okay. So, when you get to the cashier, uh, all he's saying is our web creation. So, it's the same web terminal and so forth. It's moving to the phone. So, today, in the places that we launched the mobile app, Already f- more than 5% of the transactions are done through the phone and they enter the retail only to get the cash or pay the cash. So the transaction is getting out of the retail, moving to the mobile, but the cash in cash out is still there. The know your customer is still there because don't, don't forget another thing. It's very important. When you think about cash, you need someone identifying the person because you need to have the systems, the protection, and so forth. So the contact between the, 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 the cashier and the, and the person is critical, right? Where in the world are you seeing that cash business strongest and most sustainable? Uh, definitely in Africa, in Latin America, in um, Asia, in some places, some buckets. And let me tell you what it is not, right? I mean, so uh, uh, northern countries in Europe, right? Sweden and Denmark and those, those are the bulk of our business already digital. But but that's the beauty of it. Because even that one, and I have a friend of mine who's um, from Denmark, and he has a house in Argentina. And he needs to send the salary of the people that take care of the house and so forth. They use us in sending money because they don't have an account. So that guy in Denmark get our app and send money to Argentina, but they need the, he needs the money in Argentina. He does not need the account in Argentina. And that will continue to happen around the globe. So, and we are in the cross-border business, right? So connecting one to the other, you're always going to have a segment that won the money right now and another segment that will won the account. Speaking of the cross-border business as it relates to this hemisphere and especially this community in South Florida, your Latin American and Caribbean business in the fourth quarter for Western Union, uh, even though overall uh, transaction was kind of flattish, low single digits, there was some significant growth in the Latin American market. What's driving that? Yeah, Latin America continues to grow by double digit with us, right? And uh, it, it continues to grow very strong. And we have also the uh, walking bill payment business, uh, in uh, which is very strong in Latin America. Uh, 10 or 11 years ago, we bought a company called Pago Fácil in Argentina. And just to give an idea, we do uh, 20 million transactions a month in Argentina. That's a bill pay company? Bill pay, bill okay. pay company, and, and it's the leader and so forth. We are a bank in Brazil. We have local operations in Panama, local operations in Peru, and they, we run the stores ourselves. So we have a backbone in, in, in Latin America that were created in the last uh, 15 years. That is, is really a competitive advantage. Is it being driven by domestic transaction? In other words, transactions within Argentina, within Brazil, or how much of that is kind of transactional cross-border within the continent, within the Caribbean, and as it relates to the United States? Yeah, the C2C is almost almost everything cross-border. Consumer to consumer, consumer person to consumer, to person. Person to person is almost 100% cross-border, but it's cross-border within Latin America, you know, with Europe and so forth. But the, the point is, we are so well positioned in Latin America today. We have so so much of a strong local presence that is very hard, I would say, uh, to, 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 to compete with us on that sense. So our competitive advantages are very, are very important in Latin America. Revenue in the region, Latin America and the Caribbean in the fourth quarter of uh, last year was... Uh, flat in the quarter, increased 16% in constant currency, 
transactions grew by 11%, but still this area of the world, a relatively small piece of the Western Union person-to-person, consumer-to-consumer business, just 9% yeah. in the fourth quarter. How do you grow that? Yeah, we, we, we continue to grow. So Latin America and and this reported the revenue and constant cancer revenue, it is what it is, right? There's the valuation in Argentina, and so you get one year that is good, one year that is bad. Strong dollar, for Strong instance. dollars yeah. and so forth. So, But what we look at a lot, a lot on constant currency, and you see local constant currency and volume and consumers count, right? So we count consumers also, the number of consumers and so forth, and that's all positive over there. Latin America is increasing and increasing uh, their, their number. So there are buckets of growth all around the globe, and we are looking for those buckets. How do you grow that Latin American business? You know, I, th- I think we, we will continue to grow the same way that it is today, which is basically having the right value proposition to our customers. And now we are expanding digital really fast there. So three years ago, there was no digital business in Latin America. Now we are in more than... 15 countries already in Latin America. So uh, it's, it's, it's going very fast, and I think we'll continue to go fast. Is there a technological uh, kind of generational skip that happens in some of these countries? Very much, and uh, um, I would say in every place. So let me give you an example, which is, does not refer to Latin America, but it's a great example, exactly what you're saying. You've got countries in Africa, like Kenya, and they skipped the phase of credit cards and debit cards. They went directly to mobile wallet. And that's a very different culture. I mean, you don't have a credit card or debit card there. You have the mobile wallet, and you pay everything, and you do everything with that. So there are lots of different things going on around the globe. The the wallets in Asia are reality. In China, a reality, big reality. And uh, there are no wallets in America, in Americas, right? I mean, no digital no, wallets. No digital wallets in America. Very so, few. not not significant uh, digital wallets in America. So, uh, I, it's very different country by country, and that's what is the the tricky thing. You need to understand what is locally relevant all the time. That's Western Union's president of global money transfer, Ojalan Almeida. Still to come, evolving after more than a century and a half in business and how he sees South Florida's efforts to grow its technology industry. The more we go to the mobile app, we see all the consumer indicators going up, retention, acquisition, uh, uh, transactions per cost, everything goes up every time that someone gets out of the retail or the digital and goes to the app. So this is innovation. This is big time innovation. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening and supporting WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Western Union had the chance to own the telephone business. It was 1876, and inventor Alexander Graham Bell had been granted patent number 174465, Improvement in Telegraphy. Bell offered to sell his patent and technology to the telephone to a predecessor company of Western Union. An internal company memo at the time reportedly said, quote, why would any person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when he can send a message to the telegraph office and have a clear written message sent to any large city in the United States? Well, Western Union went on to sue Bell, claiming he stole the idea for the telephone. The company also hired Thomas Edison in hopes of inventing its own competing device. It's a chapter in the corporate history of Western Union that the company does not shy away from, but it doesn't want to repeat it either. Ojalan Almeida is one of those responsible for keeping Western Union relevant in an increasingly digital world. He's president of Global Money Transfer at the firm. 
if you look at the cases of disruption around the globe, disruption happens with the companies that don't embrace innovation. And, you know, Western Union has this story of innovation, and we, we, we are not hesitating. <laughs> We're going digital big time. And uh, just to give an idea, we are already in more than 60 countries uh, around the globe that where you can send from an account. I mean, there's no other company uh, at this stage. And we continue to go. I mean, we're going to go to 200 countries in a few years. Is the bigger opportunity overseas than in the United States where you've got PayPal and Venmo and Zelle already operating? No. Uh, U.S. is a very important market and will continue to be a very important market. Uh, and the and, uh, U.K. also, a very, very important market uh, for us, which you have like uh, all other players also together. Those are the most competitive digital markets around the globe. But our strength has always been to be very competitive in the key markets. I, I will give an example in retail and digital. One of the most competitive markets is West to Mexico. And we continue to gain market share in West to Mexico year after year, even with all this competition and all those players, digital players that you talked about and the retail, they're all U.S. to Mexico. And they're very important for us because we want to win in the most competitive markets. Having said that, we are the only ones that are in every place. So we have the portfolio that we can manage around. For instance, that U.S. to Mexico business you mentioned, are you competing on price? We compete on price. We compete on distribution. We compete on offering. We compete on everything. So, for example, we, 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 go, we go with three brands to Mexico. We have Western Union, Orlando Valuta, and Vigo. And we have the digital offering, and we have the app. So we have like a set of tools that that the, the other companies don't have. So you, you said that you talked about some um, players that are digital. They don't have the retail. You talk about players that have the retail. They don't have the digital. Yeah, and, PayPal and Venmo don't have the retail. Zelle is a combination of, of banks. J.P. Morgan is involved with that other yeah. big bank, certainly. So that, there is that geographic footprint that they would have with Zelle. Correct. But but Zelle is more domestic today, right? They are not cross-border. And and we really play the cross-border environment. But, but Zelle, it's... I'm 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 very energized about Zell. I think Zell it's it's a great venture. It's great to see um, the U.S. market catching up finally with the global standards, which is you know transfer between accounts between banks in the United States should be very easy, right? When I hear a corporate executive say I'm very encouraged by a competitor's project, I have to ask uh, about uh, perhaps interest in acquiring that. Uh, product. Yeah, we are, we are always looking around the globe. Uh, you know, I, we have a team that is looking around the globe. Uh, um, I, I have a say that I, I, I love it, which is you need to be able to separate noise from content. <laughs> and there's a lot of noise around, right? I mean, you, you have like, and most sometimes the best content does not come from the noisy ones. It's coming from those small ones that are not making a lot of noise, and that's where we need to pay attention. So it's a buy it or build it proposition as well. All the time, being very humble that we cannot hesitate on buying or copying or imitating whatever we need to do that is legal, compliant, and so forth uh, on, on, on keeping up with innovation. So what are the characteristics that Western Union would use, the metrics, the judgment calls that it would make if it is looking to acquire new digital technology. It is this example that I just told you. It's about content and noise. So, for example, without giving names again, you have players today that are spending a lot of money in marketing, uh, but you look into their value proposition and there is nothing new. It is something that is very hard to imitate. And again, if your, your platform is on price, you have a problem. You have a problem. How you don't want to compete just on price. You don't want to compete just on price. I mean, if you're, you, you're saying is I'm cheaper... 
uh, wait a minute and <laughs> guys, we were just the price and you're not going to have a proposition anymore. On the other hand, you have lots of contents also, very good content being generated by Western Union, I would say. Uh, so, for example, one thing that we are very proud about is this app, the Omnichannel app, because the more we go to the mobile app, we see all the consumer indicators going up, retention, acquisition, uh, uh, transactions per cost, everything goes up every time that someone gets out of the retail or the digital and goes to the app. So this is innovation. This is big time innovation. And and this is happening uh, with us and happening with other the other companies also. How this industry is gonna look like in five years or 10 years from now? And I can tell you that what I have seen is explosive, explosive change. And it's accelerating, it's not just accelerating. So if I go back 10 years ago, we basically didn't have a digital business. And all our growth profile is based on a digital business and we are a 168 years old company. So that happened in the last 10 years. So I think in the next five years, if you think about the disruption, it will be all about empowering consumers. It's about giving consumers choice and convenience and customer experience. You see a lot of people talking about cash or account. That's not the right question. The right question is not cash or account. The right question is, can you survive with only one? And, and my answer to that is, it's gonna be very hard to win if you don't have everything. If you don't have cash, if you don't have accounts, if you don't have retail, if you don't have digital. It's going to be very hard to win because you're going to have people over there and players over there that have it all. And it's amazing. I mean, I spend like one day in Ninja talking to startups, and the ideas are tremendous. Uh, you know, there are lots of good ideas over there. These are financial that, technology startups? Uh, off fintechs. Yeah. Yes, off fintechs. Uh, uh, the Miami technology ecosystem has seen some concentration, some focus on cybersecurity and financial technology as well. Uh, how aware are you in Western Union of that? How are you paying attention to that? M many of these companies have uh, experience in Colombia, in Brazil, in, in the hemisphere, as naturally one would assume because of their location here in Miami. Yeah, there, there is a movement here, no, no question about that. And, and, and Miami is becoming more of a hub, if you will. Hopefully it will become a hub for technology, for at least for Latin America and so forth. Uh, but 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 that's not only Miami. I mean, those hubs are around. So you have Singapore. Singapore is a very important hub. You have San Francisco, uh, which is the the, the, the normal one. Uh, Malaysia is becoming a hub. So you 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 look at around the globe and you see those hubs being created. Right? What do you think Miami needs to do as it relates to financial technology? to raise its profile. You're traveling globally, you're talking to these startups in India, you mentioned Singapore, a traditional uh, global center for finance, Malaysia growing into that because of its proximity uh, to China and elsewhere. What, what does Miami need to do to raise its profile? I, 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 my, my impression, I mean, I, if I would have the solution, I would, I would do it myself <laughs> and I'd be very rich. But I, 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 I think that, uh, I think it, 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 you need an affirmative action. It will not happen only because it will happen. It's not natural. So I think you need a affirmative action and a government affirmative action in, 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 in different uh, directions. Uh, I'm not sure about the directions, but you, you need to have someone fomenting that. Right? Speaking with Ojalan Almeida, president of Global Money Transfer at Western Union. He's based in Miami. Still to come, working to clean up the business of moving money around the world. We have more compliance people than marketing people in the company. If I need to stop 10,000 transactions to get one bad, 
I will. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. Western Union collects over $11 million a day in revenue, moving money around the world. In 2017, it was accused by federal prosecutors of violating money laundering and consumer fraud laws. It agreed to pay $586 million and admitted to federal criminal violations. It was a case across three states, including South Florida. Western Union signed a deferred prosecution agreement that acknowledged the company knew its money transfer agents were involved in a scheme where people posed as family members overseas in order to get someone in the United States to send money. A year after that settlement, the company agreed to pay $60 million in New York State for ignoring suspicious money transfers to China. An owner of one Western Union location in Manhattan admitted that he knew some customers were sending money to China to pay off human traffickers. The head of the money transfer business at Western Union, Ojalan Almeida, describes himself as the first compliance officer of the company. We have more compliance people than marketing people in the company. You know, we have like... Uh, and has one, that been in a response to the prosecutions, uh, to I, the I, I, prosecution I, agreement for the Department of Justice? And uh, I think not, not the, the prosecution itself, but about the movement in compliance that we made. So a few years ago, we went back and we said, okay, gosh, we need to upgrade this. And we need to get, and, and as we're going to be spending a lot of money, investing a lot of money on that, we don't want to just upgrade. We want to, it to become a ultimate competitive advantage in the long term. Most of our controls today are made at home, are created at home, all our algorithms of behavior and so forth. And that's a tremendous competitive advantage today. How much have you been able to automate that compliance? Because one of the complaints from prosecutors over the past uh, several years, and this dates back more than a decade, is that there was knowledge of uh, this illicit activity. Uh, uh, and, and in some cases, the cashiers or the clerks were guiding uh, customers to be able to do transactions that would not trigger uh, automatic um, compliance looks, right? Yeah, they're very automatized today. All the models are there, all the scoring are there. And and depends on the level of of of, uh, of defense, right? So in the first level, of defense is very automatized, but you get to a level going back. So for example, today uh, you can send up to fifty thousand dollars from UK or or from United States. When you are sending forty thousand dollars, then changes the model of compliance totally. Then we wanna know you, we wanna talk to you, we wanna. But when you're saying a hundred dollars. It's a very different thing. So, for example, if you enter a location, send $200, and then get another location, send $200, why did you do that? You know, so we're going to probably stop you. Is that red flag you now? Uh, Yeah, many behaviors like that, red flag. And those behaviors, our compliance uh, department and officer, they tailor make those uh, those behaviors on a corridor basis. So, for example, the rules between Syria and UK are very different of the rules between UK and France. So it's a risk-based approach on that sense. But the one thing that I always say inside of the company, and I start all the speech with employees in the same way, is the following. If I need to stop 10,000 transactions to get one bad, I will. Because it's not about taking any risk compliance-wise on on getting uh, the, and our job in, in compliance is basically two, right? We stop or we report transactions that that we don't think are good transactions, right? 
Has that been a culture change for Western Union? And I ask that because in the years identified by New York uh, regulators and the Department of Justice prosecutors, uh, they pointed to actions that they contended were essentially willful ignorance on the part of Western Union towards some of these questionable transactions. Yeah, I, 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 I can talk about myself on that. Um, if I go back when I entered Western Union 17 years ago, uh, compliance was not top of my mind. Today, I breathe compliance. So it's all about compliance. And my first speech every place is about compliance to our employees. So I always say to our employees all the time, you know, be smart. Don't take risks that the company don't want to take. It's not smart <laughs> to do that. Customer experience is important, but it's more important to understand what is good money and what is bad money. Western Union's president of global money transfer, Ojalan Almeida. Pilar Ribe is our technical director. Polly Landis, our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. Podcasts on WLRN are funded in part by Make-A-Wish Southern Florida, whose own podcast, World of Wishes, features inspiring, uplifting, and memorable stories from wish kids, their families, medical professionals, and more. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.